Hello and welcome to the Science and or Fiction Podcast. I'm Taylor Sloan. And I'm Lucas Moore. So this is episode number seven, if I am not mistaken. Yep. Of the Science and or Fiction Podcast. We've made it to lucky number seven. <laughs> uh, due in large part to the support of our listeners and uh, our sheer willpower to continue uh, <laughs> in the face of um, overwhelming odds. Uh, just to, you know... The, the world has really stacked uh, everything against us. That's oh, yeah. This is very easy to do. Uh, we, we both have uh, enough free time and the expertise and equipment to do this, so we're going to keep making this podcast. But uh, we're very thankful to the people who listen to it. Yeah, all right. So should we, uh, should we start off with some follow-up? Yeah, absolutely. You have a, a little piece of follow-up about uh, Star Wars uh, The Last Jedi and how we're going to approach that. Yeah, so uh, there was just, I think this week, there was a YouTube video that came out. Um, it was pretty high on the trending charts for a while, and it was about some behind-the-scenes stuff for The Last Jedi. And this is where I think I drew the line, where I decided, you know what? I'm going to go total media blackout on this one. Um, so I'm going to try not to consume any media, read any articles, do anything like that until I'm sitting in a chair in December in a movie theater watching the movie. Taylor, right. what, are, what are your thoughts on this? So that is absolutely what I would like to do as well, uh, especially after not really having done that with, um, you know, the last two new Star Wars movies that have come out, mm -hmm. uh, The Force Awakens and Rogue One. I mean, I kind of did with Rogue One, um, but... Definitely with the Force Awakens. I mean, I saw everything that came out. You know, all the TV spots in the just the couple months leading up to it, and then of course, you know, when I came uh, down to uh, or up to Chicago to see it with you uh, yeah. and your wife, and just the night before, somebody oh, no. spoiled for me on Twitter the big shocker uh, plot twist, which we had already kind of kicked around the likelihood of. Yeah, uh, which still, is that I don't know. Should I say that even on this podcast? Have people no? Just suffice it to say that there's a, a, a right. big moment that happens mm. in you know maybe two thirds of the way through the Force Awakens. It's right. very uh, emotionally charged, very emotional. Uh, and, but and, 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 and anyone who you know what we're talking about, anyone who's seen it, you know what we're talking about. And if you haven't seen it. Just because it was ruined for me, and for that reason alone, even though I think you should have definitely seen the movie by now, I'm not going to ruin it for you. Yeah. Um, so go watch The Force Awakens and uh, report back to us. Uh, but I have decided to make a much more conscious effort as well to avoid yeah. anything like the trailers and spoiler discussions um, or even just, you know, plot theory discussions things along those lines mm -hmm. which is difficult mm -hmm. because uh you know i'm trying to run a science fiction podcast here well <laughs> science and or fiction podcast and uh star wars uh is science fiction and so you know as we're talking about things like this um i think it's kind of a big deal uh to probably us and almost all of our listeners i would imagine Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to decide, like, you know, my own personal wanting to not know anything and then also wanting to make sure that we're not being, like, the only science fiction uh, <laughs> media outlet not talking about this. 
Um, so I've come up with two ways we can approach this. Mm-hmm. One is just from a place of complete, uh, completely knowing nothing that we just wildly speculate. Like with mm. no access to any of the uh, information coming out, we just make up our own random nonsense about what the movie's going to be like and talk about that. Taylor, or is is Chewbacca a Jedi? Yes, yes, he is. Uh, Confirmed. Right. I mean, we all knew that was coming. Saw <laughs> <laughs> right. a mile away. Um, I think uh, Mon Mothma. Uh, actually, an, not a human, um, but also a Jedi. Mm. And um, who else is a Jedi? Uh, Nian Nub. Nian Nub. He's definitely a oh. Jedi. Mm-hmm. Love that guy. <laughs> uh, or so the my, other... my favorite, Celestin. Um, <laughs> so the, the other option being probably just going to talk about it until the movie gets closer? Right. So the, the other option, and kind of added on to that, was we could have someone else come and be a contributor to the podcast and their job would be we put earmuffs on and they talk about this or if we post something on the website it won't be me it won't be you it'll be them um you know so i i i will think about that and then fans if you know if, if you're uh of the listeners if you are of the same persuasion regarding this is lucas and i and you don't want to hear anything about it until december uh let us know in the comments because if nobody really wants to know anything yet then we're we're not gonna go out of our way to find an outlet even if we don't want to know so yeah uh i think it'll be very very cool to be surprised by this movie because Mm -hmm. i have not been surprised really by a star wars movie since i was seven (laughs) <laughs> and i funny. watched empire strikes back for the first time so so i did a little trial run of this total media blackout thing for star wars i uh i went to see these the new spider-man movie um over mm-hmm. the weekend and i had intentionally just not viewed or read or read reviews or anything like that i was like all right i'm giving spider-man one more chance and then i'm mm-hmm. done yeah and i first of all i love the movie but second of all the complete lack of um, really knowing anything about what was going on um, made those little moments that you would have seen in trailers or whatever just that much more fun to see for the first time during the movie. And I think it's uh, it was a good call, and it kind of reinforced my, my decision to go full media blackout on Star Wars. That makes sense. And, and I have done that unintentionally with this new Spider-Man movie. So <laughs> I, I think I'm going to go see it maybe on Friday as well. So uh, mm. we will see, uh, or I'm going to see some movie. Maybe it'll be that. I don't even know what movies are out right now, to be honest. Mm. That's not true. I know a couple of them. Wonder Woman and Spider-Man and Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Okay, I know three movies that are out right now. I'm sure okay. there are others, and I'm sure they're great. But... Not science fiction, but uh, Baby Driver? I've heard Probably. That. The best movie I've seen in in a decade. Right. This was a Stephen Wright film, right? Uh, Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright. Not. I'm sorry. I was mixing up Stephen yeah. Merchant. And Edgar yeah, yeah, Wright yeah, yeah. In my head. So he's the guy who did Shaun of the Dead and yes, Hot Fuzz. Yes, and yeah. It is. If if that's what you're expecting, it's not that. Right. Um. But it is. There there are elements there. Um, so I I this is another movie I have a 
absolutely no idea what's going on. And I had this conversation or a very similar conversation about this with someone else just the other day. And I said, baby driver, what's that about? Is it like a baby that drives a car? And they were like, yeah, uh, it's like uh, it's boss baby plus cars. Yes. And I was joking. Uh, <laughs> I had no idea. Like I said, what the movie was about. Uh, but yes, it is about, I, I, my understanding is it's about a baby that drives a car. So I'm going to go maybe see that too. If I get a chance. All right. A lot of movies I need to catch up on. In any case though, I think the idea of doing full media blackout, um, while not necessarily conducive to, uh, an an interesting science fiction podcast, um, is really, uh, I think going to be going forward my plan for really enjoying movies that I care about a lot. Right. And I think that we could, you know. We will have plenty of opportunities in the time immediately following these movies coming out to talk mm-hmm. about them in retrospect. And I think that we can have much more meaningful conversations about those things after the fact than we can speculating about them leading up to that. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably something that's kind of, and maybe I'm getting off on a little bit of a tangent here, but it's something that's maybe kind of symptomatic of our uh instant gratification you know society that we want to have all the answers we want everything now and sometimes things are better when you wait for them so Mm -hmm. and i think star wars will definitely be good and it will be better because we've waited for it i agree all right. All right. So, Taylor, why don't you tell me about brain training games? Right. Uh, so, some of you may have heard about Lumosity. Actually, if you listen to podcasts, I know Lumosity occasionally sponsors podcasts and uh, also like National Public Radio. I think I've heard them as a corporate sponsor before. Uh, but uh, move over Lumosity. Uh, Valve <laughs> might be <laughs> the next big uh, brain training game software developer. Uh, the. Florida State University in Tallahassee did a study, the College of Education, where they took 77 undergrads and sat them down. And for eight hours, they either did Lumosity games or they played Portal 2. And, I mean, they... I can't imagine it's very hard to get a bunch of, you know, undergrads to sit down and play Portal 2. But, uh, (laughs) so they did a... Uh, in-depth um, cognitive uh, you know exam in terms of things like spatial reasoning uh, and theoretical problem solving uh, you know things that uh, brain training games like Lumosity uh, sort of purport to help us be better at memory recall things like that and they used a lot of these kind of standardized tests that are used in the education world uh the ravens tests um mrt uh visna stuff like that to try and gauge both before and after using either lumosity or portal 2 uh and they found that uh those that did lumosity uh did not show any significant change uh between their pre test or pre lumosity use testing and post lumosity testing so in terms of lumosity's ability in the short term to help them with those things or in in at least increase their scores in those cognitive evaluations lumosity did not show any change but the group that played Portal 2 
uh, had a significantly uh, higher rate of um, or higher scores in those those testing areas. So, uh, especially when it came to things like again spatial reasoning, memory recall, hypothetical problem solving, um, those sorts of things, and. I can. I think I can kind of speak to this a little bit. I've never done Lumosity, but you and I uh, have played Portal Two. We actually mentioned this on episode six, mm-hmm. uh, the Portal Two co-op, uh, and maybe bringing that back. And I think that this might be an even better reason to bring this back. I think we <laughs> should try to come up with some kind of uh, situation where we play some Portal Two co-op or what have you. Maybe live stream that. And mm-hmm. then we take these tests because these tests, uh, the majority of them are available online for free or very little charge. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be interesting to see a, what we score on these tests to begin with both, uh, myself versus you in general, but also just how we would score on these things, you know, without having any kind of preparation for it. But then after playing Portal 2, I want to see if that increases our ability to function in those areas. I think that would be an interesting uh, little mini experiment. Maybe not the most scientific experiment in the world, but I think it would be fun to watch. So, Give me a chance to play some Portal for a little while. Though. Right, right. And that's really all that it boils down to. Just like <laughs> So a lot of people, if you haven't picked up on this yet, Lucas and I are best friends, and probably 50% of the reason that I started this podcast was so that I could have a reason to, you know, talk about the nerdy stuff that we talk about. I think we've, <laughs> we've kind of made that clear. So really most of the time when I'm thinking of stuff like this, I'm just thinking of giving us an excuse to do something like play portal two together. So, right. um, <laughs> I was kind of thinking about this, about these, these brain training games and like what the, the actual goal of these games is. And, mm-hmm. I feel like they wouldn't work that well if you didn't feel a little smarter after you complete them. Right. Um, and I don't know about you, but when I was playing through Portal 2, uh, I felt pretty dumb most of the time. Um, right. There was a lot and, of, oh, we, it took us that long to figure this out yeah. kind of thing. And the thing is, I almost feel like uh, if you're ever going to be in a situation where you're actually getting smarter, you're probably going to feel really dumb. I absolutely and if you're agree with that. In a situation where you're not getting smarter, you're probably going to feel pretty smart. Uh-huh. And I mean, you know, props to Lumosity. What what is their goal? Their goal isn't to make you smarter. Their their goal right. is to make you feel smarter. Right. And I think that that's that's I'm I'm you know, Lumosity makes money to make you feel smarter. Mhm. They're not a charitable uh organization to the best of my knowledge they exist to make money and that's fine but i can definitely say that and i'm sure you might have a similar experience that school for me uh over the last year you know uh has made me a lot of the time feel really dumb uh oh yeah and and then i'm like oh well i know that now you know like Mm -hmm. that's that's the thing uh, and really, that's how we learn is by recognizing what we don't know and then all of a sudden knowing it. Uh, that's the Taylor Sloan definition of learning, uh, just in case anyone was curious. Uh, <laughs> but I think, uh, you know, it's interesting, though, because obviously when, you know, Gaben created Portal uh, from his left uh, tibia, 
and <laughs> several of his hairs. Uh, you know, it wasn't intended to be a brain training game. It, like he just wanted to make some more money off of a an engine that already existed and allowed for some really cool physics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it was a very fun game, and uh, you know, Portal Two, a very fun follow up to that. Mm-hmm. And I, I think uh, it's interesting that even though it wasn't made to be that either, it had that effect. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, well. Speaking of um, maybe things that sound scientific but don't really hold up that well, uh, we should probably get into our main topic this week, which yes. is pseudoscience. Ah, uh, yes. And so, particularly through this lens which i'll let you introduce this because yeah so this week uh maybe i maybe it's just i've been paying more attention this week um but it seems like there's a lot of stuff in the news that sort of was kind of getting on my nerves so there's there was a story in uh where was it? it was the new york times um about the chemicals in mac and cheese and they were referencing this study saying that there was all these phthalates in mac and cheese and then there was a story about um gwyneth paltrow's company goop getting in an argument with uh, a scientist on twitter and then scott pruitt of the epa is talking about setting up panels of scientists to argue anthrop- anthropogenic climate change and i just uh it seems like there's a lot of pseudoscience flying around and i don't really know what to think about it right um and I, I feel like we've probably given this caveat a couple of times. Not that we, but we try not to get too political. Like, mm-hmm. this isn't a politics podcast. But just because we don't want to be political on this podcast does not mean that science hasn't become politicized and that scientists don't need to be political in the grossest sense to communicate their points and to get things like funding for their research and policies based on their research. And I think that there may be something to do. And I would imagine that probably there are not a small number of people who would agree with me. And this is just my opinion that the current political climate in the United States in particular could maybe have something to do with the sudden seeming resurgence of pseudoscience uh you mentioned scott pruitt definitely yeah but i mean stuff like the the mac and cheese thing like yeah the uh people have called it chemophobia and i i like that word because i'm a chemist um but this sort of stuff's been going on all the time so this mac and cheese story i so i mean i don't know all right so this the story was in uh the New York Times, they're talking about the, these chemicals called phthalates. They can disrupt male hormones like testosterone and been linked to uh, birth defects and they, all these scary things. And they, they keep talking about how in there's this study of 30 cheese products and it detected phthalates in all but one of these samples. Mm-hmm. And they link to the study. Uh, and I would venture a guess that most people didn't actually click on that study. But if no. you do click on that study, it goes to a to PDF from a, uh, a website called cleanupcraft.org, which right. sort of tells you what it's all about. Um, in the first line, there's a link to something about the global chemical industry. Um, yeah. So, And they took a bunch of mac and cheese and 
um, did some actually pretty decent analytical chemistry on these samples of mac and cheese products and found that uh, in some mac and cheese products, they found these phthalate materials. Yeah. And this bugged me as a chemist quite a bit um, because I would say that most of the people who read this read this New York Times article did not read. Uh, the The thing that bugged me about the New York Times article is they didn't mention actually the levels. They didn't actually right. mention any numbers, any data. They just said they detected phthalates. And right. I think uh, as a person in the uh, emergency medical profession, Taylor, I think you could tell me a lot about the dose making the poison. Uh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I mean, that's that's. Uh, I think a lot of people would be surprised, truly, truly surprised by how much of some of the things that we think of as being very dangerous and poisonous a human being can consume before they actually cause even measurable damage not necessarily irreparable but just measurable damage to the human body um i'll give you kind of an anecdotal experience regarding this uh household like bleach laundry bleach clorox laundry bleach and the big white gallon jug we had i was um doing a clinical shift in the uh ER, the emergency room at the pediatric hospital here in Indianapolis, uh, and a mother brought her, I think he was maybe five-year-old son, he maybe weighed about 15 kilograms, decent-sized five-year-old, you know, acting very appropriately, but obviously sick, and she said that he probably had consumed about a... Uh, she brought in this measuring cup that came with the bleach that they had, and it was probably about a quarter of a cup, um, so maybe, you know, 150 mLs of this bleach. And in <laughs> and, and that's is saying that the kid actually did consume all of that. Um, she said that he spit some of it up, and she was absolutely convinced that her child was going to die. I mean, she mm -hmm. was absolutely 100% sure. And the doctor came in. She's like, oh, well, we'll just watch him for a few hours. Mm -hmm. Because that's the thing. You can drink bleach. Now, listen. <laughs> I am gonna, I am going to give that the strongest uh, advisory that I can that you not actually attempt this at home, at work. Just don't drink bleach. But a human being can drink a certain amount of bleach before it hurts you. If you want to sterilize or decontaminate at least uh, to a certain extent uh, a volume of water, you put a couple drops of bleach in it. We swim in swimming pools that have chlorine in them, which is the main ingredient, you know, in bleach uh, from a very general perspective. Eh, close and enough. Close enough. It's 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 this boogeyman chemical that everybody freaks out about bleach chlorine whatever and there are other things just like that there but these phthalates um there's if there were enough of these phthalates in these things to cause these effects in any quantity that is measurable 
than we would have noticed. Right. Uh, because that's the definition of noticeability. And, the, I mean, the thing that's going to kill us in macaroni and cheese is right there on the label. It's the fact that one serving of it has an ungodly amount of saturated fat and, <laughs> you know, has a very high uh, sugar uh, and starch to uh, insoluble dietary fiber carbohydrate ratio. And macaroni and cheese is killing people, but it's not killing people because of phthalates and causing testicular cancer and uh, congenital birth defects. It's killing people because of heart disease and type 2 diabetes. Mm-hmm. And it is bad food like that is killing people because they're eating four servings of it at once several times a day. And that's super bad for you. But the phthalates, you know, you could eat nothing but that. You could eat 3,000 calories of mac and cheese, 10,000 calories of mac and cheese every day. And I would imagine, I would wager, that the phthalates are going to kill you uh, an order of magnitude slower than the heart disease and diabetes will. One of the things that gets me, too, is, again, we're we're a reader of this New York Times article to click through to the um, to this article not really an article it's a report uh not peer-reviewed there's no actual scientist names on this thing it's just uh some sort of think tank here but uh if you look there's this fun little chart table two in their report um talking about how often they found phthalates in each particular sample and uh there's actually pretty uh pretty wide range of what their analytical chemistry was able to detect in these things so uh some samples had incredibly high levels, or at least what they refer to as incredibly high levels of phthalates, and some of them had, you know, lower than the de- uh, the detection limit of their analytical method, and so that puts up a red flag immediately to me, right. uh, saying if you're not being consistent, how can you know that these numbers even mean anything? Right. And you know that's the sort of thing that gets flagged in peer review, right. which this was not. Because what it sounds like they're saying is the measured amount falls entirely within their statistical margin of error. Uh, I wouldn't say – I'm not looking at their at their raw data, so I can't really say that. But the fact that they were saying that um, in in similar samples that some of them were very high and some of them were below the detection limit of the same – you know, same macaroni product on different uh, analysis runs mm-hmm. means there might have been something wrong with their methodology, right? And uh, that's that's hard to uh, hard to get through peer review. Sure, and that's why it hasn't gotten through peer review, probably. Well, uh, I I I would presume that this was not submitted for peer review. This right. is well, not I, the kind because of thing. you you wouldn't that would you would re- I think anyone who is an actual scientist I would imagine would take a look at that article. And say I'm not going to sub- submit this for peer review because it won't It'll get do shot down. Well. Yeah, uh, this and thing I think will get that torn apart. anybody who who would write it then in the first place writes it knowing that this is not the kind of thing that they're doing with that. They're writing this for a uh, the purpose of like a think tank or some kind of lobbying type group that is the uh, the coalition for safer kind of food. The Coalition for Safer Food Processing and Packaging. Right. Mm. Which is sort of strange and nebulous sounding. And Well, 
so on the one hand, you got to hand it to them. If if anybody asks me, should our food packaging and processing be safer? And I'd say, yeah, probably. Uh, sure. I don't know how safe it is right now, yeah. but it could always be safer, right? Sure. That's good. Why not? Um, and and so maybe they're uh, they're actually really trying to do something good here. Um, but their data does not back that up, or it at least to me doesn't appear to. You know, they're they're talking about micrograms per kilogram of phthalates. Um, so these are parts per billion um, right. concentrations, which is just staggeringly low. I mean, if you eat an almond, you're eating like four or five migs of of hydrogen cyanide. Right. Like uh, the the amount of uh, of what you'd consider deadly poisons that you consume in normal food products is much, much, much higher. Yeah. Um, orders of magnitude higher than these phthalates in this macaroni product. Right. Well, and they're t- the things that they're talking about, um, that, I mean, <sighs> okay. So if you're talking about a lethal dose of phthalates, sure. But even if you are talking about a dose sufficient enough to cause some kind of, hormone imbalance issues for through whatever method of action that happens i still can't imagine that i mean it just seems to me like it would be much more easy to point if the if data existed that said ever since we started eating macaroni and cheese uh men have become infertile and the men who do have offspring uh they have birth defects. Like, mm-hmm. I think th- there would be something to point to that. Like, oh, hey, in 19-whatever, craft uh, dinner, if you're Canadian, craft macaroni and cheese, if you're American, uh, started being served. And then, you know, here's this handy line graph that shows infertility and birth defects uh, mm-hmm. along the same relative scale. Uh but that doesn't exist to the best of my knowledge. And I would think mm. that whoever writing this article, if it did exist, they would have sourced that out before they kind of tried to do this. Right. Well, although, you know, Taylor, if you've been eating a lot of mac and cheese and you're maybe feeling like uh, there's some imbalance or some uh, some some toxicity problems you're having, you know, I'm going to send you over to well-known nutrition expert Gwyneth Paltrow's website called right. Goop. Uh-huh. And you can get all kinds of wellness products. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I am going to go through some of these very quickly and just read off the names of some of these. And these are these handy-dandy little, uh, you know, uh, paper packets or plastic packets, <laughs> you know, with pills in them. Kind of like you see with Advocare and other um uh like that so uh (laughs) here are some of the names you have high school genes genes g-e-n-e-s uh and then these have quotes under them and i'm going to read these because they're equally ridiculous to the names uh my body isn't responding to diet and exercise the way it used to Mm. um okay uh, and, and we won't comment on, cause there's just too much to comment on every single thing on this website. It's just so much stuff, but here, here's another one, the mother load. And then the quote, motherhood is amazing, but pregnancy is taxing in every sense of the word. I'm wiped out and worry that I'll never recover. 
I mean, seems like a reasonable thing to be worried about. Absolutely. If anything on here is reasonable, it's that. I have mm-hmm. no idea what motherhood would be like. I have no idea what pregnancy would be like. But quite frankly, even though it will never happen to me, I am terrified of it. So I get that. Uh, why am I so effing tired? E-F-F-I-N-G. And then the quote is, no matter how much sleep I get, I still feel exhausted. And then uh, the other one, balls in the air. And the quote, I'm working really hard at an intense pace and don't have time to slow down or get sick. Um, so these 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 little wellness packets contain uh, potentially... Uh, either one of two things, the things that they say they do, which are things like vitamins and minerals and um, various things that kind of fall under the sort of snake oilish banner of nootropics. But um, yeah, a lot of this stuff is, is uh, if it has what's in it, it's uh, probably not really doing anything for you. Uh, there, none of this stuff, I mean, it, you know, it has the FDA warning that this stuff is, none of this is intended to treat or cure any disease, which the thing about that is it means exactly that. If there's something wrong with you, this won't help. That's what that thing says. Yeah. If you uh, have so a disease, this will neither treat it nor cure it. This this website, is it's a lifestyle website. There's it shopping, is. there's there's clothes, there's makeup and mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. And I can see how you know this is a this is a business and sure. they're they're providing a lot of uh resources for people that want this sort of thing but to me where they step over the line is where they say all right these problems these you know these quotes that Taylor read off these are all problems that people actually have right and they're sort of hard to define and mm-hmm. not something that you necessarily could go get um you know a prescription from a doctor to fix um, maybe yeah. you haven't tried or maybe you have already and man this is a, a little packet full of pills and it's right over something uh, that is a problem that I'm having yeah. I bet those pills are going to fix my problem right. and some of them they might uh, yeah. like there are one of these things is just like uh, super high concentrations of B vitamins and some other stuff that doesn't mean anything and some of them are Oh, I don't know. I, I'm not sure that I even want to read the list of things in this diet and exercise pills thing because that might just might make your heart explode. But there is something to this where modern medicine doesn't necessarily have a lot of fixes for just getting older. Right. And it's super attractive to think that something could fix that. And, right. And for $75 a month per one of these packs you can maybe feel better about it. It's, that's that's uh, the thing. I think our life expectancy is getting longer, but the expectancy of our quality of life is, I mean, we're, we're stopping the things that are killing us. We're treating heart disease better. We're treating diabetes better. Uh, we're treating strokes better. Uh, we're treating trauma better. And more people are surviving the things that kill us, but people still have the things that are making our quality of life lower. And those <laughs> things start, you know, from childhood for a lot of people. Things like mental illness and hormonal imbalances and, um, you know, 
there are just there's so many things arthritis all of these things are real medical conditions you could have you know somebody who uh says that that quote um no matter how much sleep i get i still feel exhausted that could be somebody with a some kind of imbalance of the you know like neurotransmitters in their brain their serotonin levels are not right and they may need to be on some kind of medication that helps them balance uh you know serotonin reuptake um someone who you know has uh, this it says motherhood is amazing but pregnancy is taxing in every sense of the word i'm wiped out and i worry that i'll never recover that could be somebody who has postpartum depression uh and and needs the help of a legitimate clinical psychiatric provider to help them get through that either through things like counseling uh, or medication that actually affects the real chemical imbalance that's causing that issue. Uh, somebody with, you know, that says my body isn't responding to diet and exercise the way it used to. That could be somebody with a thyroid parathyroid hormone imbalance. And, you know, their basal metabolic rate is really screwed up. Uh, or it could be somebody with diabetes that doesn't know it. And they may be somebody who's in their 50s and they've lost a bunch of weight. But now their pancreas doesn't know what to do uh, and is, you know, underproducing insulin and, and overproducing glucagon. There are so many things, real medical conditions that could be behind those things. So I think there are two things that I have that are wrong. With this. One is that they're charging people 90 bucks for one month and 75 bucks for a monthly subscription for these pills, which if they actually contain the things they say they contain, or even if not... You could go to Meyer and get a year supply of all of this stuff for fifty dollars, uh, and there's no proof that it does anything. Yeah, the F FDA has not evaluated it. Obviously, yeah. There's I I like to think about these sort of pseudoscientific products in in kind of distinct areas. There's there's the mostly harmless, which is like it doesn't cost any money and it also doesn't do anything bad. So to me, that's like, uh, you know, if you want to, you know, sit and think and align your chakras and stuff, whatever, that's fine. It doesn't cost any money and it doesn't hurt you. So great. There's also the stuff that, uh, costs a lot of money and also doesn't hurt you. So if you want to drink alkaline water, um, that costs a lot of money and it's not going to do anything at all. Um, and that's, um, you know, as a consumer, that makes me angry, but at least it's not hurting you. But then there are things where it costs a tremendous amount of money, and it also has a lot of capability to hurt you. And I even think some of these these super doses of vitamins um, can fall into that third category, where certain vitamins, like uh, vitamin C, is um, probably the most common one that people do super dosing of. It's water soluble. And, or at least wa more water soluble than than fat soluble, and so you clear it very quickly, and so you can't um, overdose on vitamin C, or at least not easily. But some of the B, the B vitamins are very very fat soluble, and so you can quickly build up toxic doses of them, and it's hard to clear. Right. And I would worry about some of these uh, if they have the high levels of vitamins that they claim. Um, they may in addition to being tremendously expensive, may also actually begin harming people. Right, and I think even, like I said, just beyond that, I mean, even, you know, 
there are probably people who are avoiding um, seeing an actual doctor, like a medical doctor with a medical degree from a real, like, school of medicine uh, who can help them uh, because they think, oh, well, you know, it's not that serious. I can just take some supplements, and if that makes me feel better, then it's not a big deal. But again, mm -hmm. a lot of these things can be caused by more serious underlying conditions, a lot of which are treatable, uh, mm -hmm. if not curable. So I think I my hope is that people would know better than to avoid actual medical care uh, in favor of this stuff. But I think that that's another way where I worry that people are being harmed by this. Right. So I was kind of thinking about this, and it, it is a lot of fun for scientific-minded people to sit around and, and make fun of pseudoscience because it's it's easy <laughs> and it's right. kind of fun. Uh, it's kind of fun to feel a little superior, to be honest. Um, but I feel like the prevalence of pseudoscience can actually teach scientists a lot about what we do, or not just scientists, but scientifically-minded people. And... There's a lot of lessons to be learned here, like uh, talking about confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is terrible, and it's uh, if you are looking for a cure, right. and you think something's going to cure you, and you take something and it makes you feel a little better, then that you naturally don't have any reason to suspect that it might not have actually been the thing you took that cured you, and that's that's a, a classic case of confirmation bias. You think. Right. You think what's going to happen is going to happen, and it does, and it might not be related to what you actually did. And but, and to be perfectly yeah. clear, I think confirmation bias is probably, I mean, maybe I have a confirmation bias about this, but hmm. it seems to me that confirmation bias is the most prevalent logical fallacy, and I will be the first person to admit that I've had biases that have been, you know, I've sought out confirmation of them, even subconsciously, you know, things mm -hmm. that I just believed and I looked for reasons to continue to believe them even when uh, maybe those reasons didn't exist um, mm -hmm. in the way that I expected. So it's, well, that's why it if takes you have, humility, I think. Yeah, and, and if you have an idea, so this, this is something that we do in the lab sometimes. Um, if you have an idea and you have, a, you have a, a system or whatever and you think that you have you know, you, you have something, um, it's rather than looking for proof, um, rather than gathering up all the data you can that says, I'm right, look at all these things that say I'm right, um, try to find something that proves yourself wrong. Right. Um, kind of do this adversarial thing. So this is something that comes up all the time in chemistry where somebody says, I propose that this is the reason uh, that my reaction did this or whatever. And it's very easy to come up with reasons why that might have happened. But a lot of times people don't actually go to think, well, instead of finding a mountain of data that, you know, supports this, it would be much faster sometimes to just find all the ways that you could to disprove your idea. And if you can disprove it, um, you know, in, in science, we don't ever really prove anything. We just significantly fail to disprove things long enough that uh we're pretty sure they're right 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 and i mean 
that is the the way to avoid our confirmation biases. Actually, I I know I shared this. I think I'm um, Adam Savage uh, gave a talk at uh, Bay Area Science Festival this last year. I think it was in maybe October. Um, I can't remember, but it was it was essentially the thesis of his talk was the enemy of science is not superstition. The enemy of science is bias. Mm-hmm. And uh, because it can exist both within and from outside of the community, the scientific community. Um, and inside of every one of us, mm-hmm. uh, it is probably the closest thing to like the dark side and the light side of the force that actually exists <laughs> is that we have, you know, bias and willingness and ability to try and work against our own biases Mm -hmm. and i think that that goes beyond science too but at least in the case of science and in particular the science of our our personal health um and diet and hygiene and things like that i think that uh where the pseudoscience and snake oil type stuff comes in that is uh where we can all do better definitely yeah and uh, one last thing, I just want to make sure that this is very clear. Uh, the Science and or Fiction podcast has not been evaluated by the FDA to cre- treat, cure, or prevent any diseases. So uh, all these opinions are our own, and we are right. not medical professionals. Well, I'm not a medical professional. Uh, Taylor, I, you actually I are. Like, I feel like I should probably say uh, the uh, this podcast and uh, any of its iterations in their entirety not constitute medical advice. Uh, if you have any concerns about your health or the health of a loved one, please seek out your own personal medical practitioner. And that, that sounds like that sounds that sounds super official. I don't know about it. Yeah, I've said that a few times before. <laughs> I, let me rephrase that. I've had to say that a few times, but it's absolutely true. And, and for the same reason that I'm trying to tell people who this is personal advice, not medical advice. Mm-hmm. Uh go talk to an actual doctor. Don't talk to me. Uh, Don't talk to a doctor on the internet that isn't familiar with you as a person and your health. Probably the most important thing I believe personally in modern medicine is still the family doctor, the primary care provider. Um, Because I have seen patients in my own practice of, you know, pre-hospital emergency medicine who have been through the ringer of specialists and all kinds of doctors. And because they don't have that primary care provider to kind of play the gatekeeper and the sense maker of all of the things that are going on with many conditions, which they may or may not even have, uh, and have been cross-diagnosed with and misdiagnosed with and overdiagnosed with and underdiagnosed with and overmedicated with and undermedicated with and cross-medicated with, having a primary care provider, someone who you can sit down with and feel comfortable and who knows you on a first-name basis and can look at your chart and say, oh, you're on uh, these two medications. They're contraindicated when you take them together. Let's uh, let's see, uh, okay, with this history, we just need you to be on this one medication. When you, you know, see a bunch of specialists and stuff like that, that, that can't happen. So I think that, like, I, 
this is again personal advice not medical advice because i am not your doctor i am not a doctor uh <laughs> i did not even stay in a holiday Inn express last night this is my personal <laughs> advice if you have the ability and i sincerely hope you do and i so am so so sorry if you don't i hope we'll fix it so that you do but if you have the ability to see on a regular basis a primary care provider a family doctor or even a nurse practitioner, someone who can be very familiar with you and your issues or your family and their issues, do it. It's the most important thing you can do for your health. Mm -hmm. Yep. Our, our really only medical advice that we can give is um, get your medical advice from somebody that's not um, trying to take down a big corporation or sell you very expensive objects. Um, that make your chakras aligned or whatever, get your medical advice from somebody who is trained to give you medical yep. advice. Don't get it from me. Don't get it from Lucas. And for God's sake, don't get it from Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> All, All right. right. Well, I think that's, that's about enough on pseudoscience uh, for this week. I, I, I'm not sure that I want to revisit this topic, but I have a feeling we will in the future. Uh, if you haven't, please subscribe to the science and or fiction podcast we are uh, on the web at science and or fiction.com uh, we're also on itunes and google play just search for science and or fiction uh, you can find us on twitter at cyan or fi and on facebook facebook forward slash facebook.com rather forward slash cyan or fi you can send us an email with your questions comments or concerns at science and or fiction at gmail.com but for the Science and or Fiction podcast and uh, for the next two weeks, I'm Taylor Sloan. And I'm Lucas Moore. We'll talk to you next time.